0: to a tradition unlike any other. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Yes! 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode eight of the Tom Shovelet podcast. Today's episode, we'll talk about the NFL schedule release from Thursday night. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, he had a conference call to talk about whether the NBA is going to come back or not. Give us some ideas about that, of when we can expect a return. Then we'll get into some round two of the NBA 2K20 simulator. And then we'll get into the top 50 list. We got 29 through 20 today. So the NFL schedule finally released on Thursday. Uh, They had a big three-hour show on ESPN and NFL Network about it, but I didn't watch it because by the time 2 p.m. hit, every beat writer had already leaked the schedules on twitter and social media so i already knew what the schedule was how many primetime games each team had before 3 p.m so those damn beat writers just ruin everything so big takeaways from it ravens they have the easiest schedule well according to records from last year of their opponents they have the easiest steelers they have the second easiest and new england apparently has the hardest schedule so you can just put the agenda is already out there already for new england to get the number one pick next year and get trevor lawrence so so conspiracy theory is already starting and we haven't even gotten to training camp yet we finally get prime time patrick mahomes lamar jackson week three monday night football thought it was a little early in the season but it is what it is i was kind of worried going into it that i didn't know going into it that they had the contingency plan already for moving the super bowl back to the end of the month. Instead of having it the first Sunday in February, if need be, they can move it to the 28th. So they can move everything back instead of having to cancel maybe the first three or four weeks of the season, which I was worried about. I thought they would just front load the AFC versus NFC like out of conference games. So if they cancel those, no big deal. You still have your division games and your conference games that are important once it comes into playoff seeding. But Roger Goodell, say what you will about him. He's handling the list very well. I can't say the same about Adam Silver or the rest of the commissioners in the major sports. Somehow, the New England Patriots, they have five primetime games. How how did they give New England five primetime games? They have five primetime games, and they also have three games that are after 4 p.m. Why the hell would we want to watch that? I just don't understand how the hell they did that. They have two Monday night games, one of them against the Bills and one of them against the Jets. What the hell are they doing? I don't understand how they did that. They maxed out the New England Patriots with primetime games. They have the same amount of primetime games as the Ravens, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Dallas Cowboys, the Green Bay Packers, the Kansas City Chiefs, the LA Rams. Also, why the hell did they get five primetime games? Where did they go, like 7-9 and last year? I don't, they even, they got even worse. So why would we want to watch them? I don't understand why they do this shit. And then San Francisco, they get five primetime games. So I can't really complain about having five uh, Lamar Jackson games in primetime. It probably, they should have just made them have 10 and just take away New England's primetime games. Just give Lamar 16 primetime games, and I think we're all happy, right? I don't understand how—I mean, I get Dallas. They're America's team, so they're going to get five primetime games, even though we'll watch them go 8-8. Eight and eight. The Rams one is so baff—I don't understand why they get five primetime games. I would rather watch Arizona. In that division, instead of the Rams, they're probably going to be the last place team in the uh, NFC West and they're going to get five primetime games. Ugh, I don't understand it, but we'll see when the season starts. It's slated to start regularly, but they still didn't put any dates on any of the preseason games, so they're all TBDs. We still don't even know when the training camp's going to happen, so I don't know. But they're playing to forge ahead, and I got to respect Roger Goodell for having a plan and just saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. It's all about money, we're going to do it. So, I appreciate that. Uh, Adam Silver, on the other hand, uh, he had his conference call Friday night, uh, a couple takeaways from it. So he said he'd like to have the season to come back, obviously. And they expected not to change the playoff format at all. So they're not going to shorten it whatsoever. Not going to do three game series, five game series. It's going to be all seven game series. He said that the fans, they've attended their last game for the foreseeable future. So that's even talking about next year. So I don't know how they're going to plan on making up that money because the fans' attendance and everything is over 40% of the league's revenue. So I don't know if they're going to double or triple the prices of League Pass. I mean, I already pay 124 a month for the basic package for every team on League Pass. So what are they going to make me pay, like 350 for that? Uh, I just don't understand how that's going to work. They're focused on Orlando and Las Vegas to be where all the games were played. Las Vegas would be where the Western Conference teams will play and then Orlando for the Eastern Conference, obviously. There, he still isn't sure how they're going to set up uh, the bubble teams for the playoffs. Like teams like Portland, they were two games back of Memphis for the eight seed, and I mean, what you're just gonna either start the postseason with Memphis at that eight spot, or you have to figure out a way to do some play in kind of tournament. He said that they need at least a three week training camp before they resume the season. And he still hasn't decided whether they are even going to resume the season. And they're still going to take that decision until at least the end of June. So I just don't see how this is going to how they're going to make this happen. It's, It's already going to cut into next year's new year calendar. I just, I don't see how they make this work, really. I think if they want to make it happen, just say, we're going to do this. We're going to make it happen. It doesn't seem like he wants to. I think he's too afraid to be judged and ridiculed for his decision, unlike Roger Goodell. I also want to get make sure they get testing for every single player before every single game. I just still, I don't see how you're going to make that happen, and they said if... Like what happened with Rudy Gobert, if he tests positive, like when he tested positive, they just shut down everything. But if a player tests positive now, the th- the thought would be just to quarantine them for 14 days and then continue with on with the season. Again, I, there's just no room for error. It's just, I don't see how they make this happen. I think I think they should just call it, but there's just too much money to be made for them not to go on with this. And we all know that, and they're acting like it's, it's not about the money. It's, it's just they don't seem genuine at all. They're acting like they care about this and that. You care about the money. So just do it. Just do what the NFL did. Come out. We're going to do this. This is how we're doing it. There you go. And then we'll all appreciate that a lot more than you trying to be phonies and act like you care. If you're going to be a scumbag, just be a scumbag. And then we'll deal with the repercussions after that. But we'll be watching basketball and we'll all suck it up and it'll be fine i will all forget about it. It seems like I have a strong feeling that I'm just going to be continuing doing this NBA 2K20 simulation through the NBA Finals. And then we're still not going to have anything. And then I'll probably end up having to simulate the baseball season as well. Even though Trevor Pluth, he used to play. He's a former player. He tweeted out the other day that from people that he knows inside of baseball, they're expecting to announce that spring training is going to start June 1st. They plan on having opening day uh, of the regular season on 4th of July weekend. I don't know how obtainable that is either. I I don't know how any of these things are going to be in place by that time. So it sounds like there's a chance that we might get some sports here shortly. But I, again, I just don't see how it happens. There's just no room for error here. And I mean, the NHL, they haven't even said anything about what they're going to do. They've literally just put their head in the sand and they're just waiting for this thing to go away, I guess. I don't know. I can't believe I'm going to say that they all should be like Roger Goodell. Then we'd have a little more clarity on what, what to expect and what not to expect. I don't even care if they come. I mean, just have them play in an empty uh, arena club or something. I don't care. I just want to watch them play basketball. But, again, I mean, it's not if it's not safe to play, it's not safe to play. Plus, you've got those old coaches, too, like Mike D'Antoni. He, he's almost 70 years old. He's at a high risk. I just, I don't know. How are you going to figure out who's essential on the bench and who isn't? Uh, trainers, all that stuff. Are the general managers going to be there? Are the owners going to be there? They haven't been able to decide who's going to be in attendance and who isn't. It's just, I don't know. They're running out of time. Because if you wait too much longer, you're already going into your off season, And then your regular season for next year is not going to start on time. It's just, it all just rolls downhill. It's just a disaster. Oh, man. Oh, well. I still got some fake basketball to get me through. Last night started off. Game one of the overall number one seed. Los Angeles Lakers taking on the five seed, Oklahoma City Thunder in LA. and the Lakers absolutely curbed something. 128 to 70. At one point it was 75 to 40. Anthony Davis, 26 points, 11 rebounds, over 50 percent from the floor. LeBron, 25 points, 10 boards. Javale McGee 20 points, 15 rebounds. He missed two shots. They just absolutely dominated the Thunder. Chris Paul, 10 points. He was 4 for 12 from the floor. Dennis Schroeder off the bench, 4 for 10 from the floor. Shea Gilgers-Alexander, he was their leading scorer with 17, but he was 7 of 23 from the floor. Just a horrendous night for the Thunder. They shot 30% from the floor. The Lakers shot 54%. OKC, they were 21% from three. They were 6 of 28. Lakers, 13 of 25. Absolutely dominant in every single category. Points in the paint, they scored 40 more points in the paint than them they outscored them by 20 plus points off the bench absolutely dominated they were plus 40 on the boards okc they had 15 turnovers la only turned it over five times so absolute domination oklahoma city they led by one point and that's after they hit a free throw to begin the game and then after that they were just that was it ran them off the floor so that's to be expected didn't think this would be much of a series so that's game one la okc and then the second Second round game one that we had was the other number one seed, Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks against the number four seed, Miami Heat. And a shocker, Miami wins game one, 118 to 99. Ouch. Bucks struggle from the floor. They shoot 36% as a team, 30% from three. As we continue to talk about each loss that the Bucks have, the other guys for Giannis, Brooke Lopez, he was the only one who had a good game. He led the team with 19 points. He was 6 of 15 from the floor. He was 4 for 13 from 3, though. Jesus Christ. Giannis, though, struggles. He had five fouls. He only plays 20 minutes. He had 14 points, 12 rebounds, six assists, only 11 shots. Chris Middleton, supposed to be his number two scorer on the team, the guy to help him out, take all the pressure off him. He was 3 for 17, 3 for 10 from the floor, or 3 for 10 from 3, only 9 points. Eric Bledsoe, again, all playoffs, he's been a disaster he's four for 10 from the floor 12 points just that's just not going to get it done milwaukee they got to get more out of the second guys or they're not going to go anywhere this is why started the start of the season i had my doubts about the milwaukee bucks they're another team that's built perfectly for the regular season they got some nice pieces around Giannis. it's like lebron's first stint with cleveland in 2009 they won 60 games had some nice role players lebron was the best player on the planet he was out of his mind he won mvp and everyone thought they'd make their way to the nba finals play against kobe bryant didn't happen because they all came up short when it mattered the most and then lebron went to miami and we all know how that went all the game ones have been played and today i did game twos of the toronto philadelphia series they're leading one nothing and then the Clippers and Rockets game two and LA is up one nothing we'll start with the Clippers game two they lose 112 to 100 Kawhi Leonard 22 points he was 8 of 19 from the floor where's Paul George at there he is Paul George playoff P 4 for 13 from the floor 2 for 5 from 3 12 points it's every time they lose it's always you look down six guys are ahead of Paul George on the box score and he shoots less than 40% 40 percent from the floor they lose every single time every single time james harden 33 points for the rockets he was 11 for 20 from the floor six for 12 from three russell westbrook 16 points 10 boards six assists five for 12 from the floor so it was a good all-around game for houston houston shoots 46 percent from the floor they shoot 47 percent from three la they shot 43 percent from the floor so not far off from houston and they shot the same amount from three they both shot 47 percent from three but Houston makes 22 of 47. L.A. only makes 9 of 19. The only thing that kept really L.A. close was the free throw shooting. They took about 12 more free throws than L.A. did. So it probably would have been a 20-point game for the Houston if it wasn't for that. Clippers, they dominate points in the paint. But it doesn't matter if you get outshot. If you get outshot from three by about 13 threes, it's, it doesn't make a difference. L.A. even wins. They win, they win rebounding. They win second chance points. Points in the paint. They're right there in bench points. But they have 21 turnovers and they shoot horribly from the three ball, so there you go, they lose, they drop game two, so we got 1-1 LA and Houston, and then we'll go to their second game two, the defending champion, two seed Toronto Raptors against the number six seed, my finals pick for the Eastern Conference, Philadelphia 76ers, they got blown out in game one, and Philly bounces back in game two, they dominate 94-72, to Joel Embiid, 30 points, 13 rebounds. Josh Richardson, he throws in 19 points. Tobias Harris throws in 16 points. Ben Simmons, though, he takes two shots in 31 minutes. He scores six points nine rebounds, six assists. He has four steals and one block. So weird. That's such a weird stat line. And Al Horford, he put up the same exact stat line, but he was two for 11 from the floor. Oh my God. 2k is so stupid. This simulation thing, it's really driving me nuts. 2k, this game sucks. Sorry. They have, they have no AI. The artificial intelligence in this game is absolutely idiotic. They don't, they don't play any, any kind of styles or anything. they just it's so stupid. No matter how I try and adjust the sliders, adjust the rotations the way they're supposed to based off the real life, it's still it's just a, a shitty game. They were too worried about the other shit instead of the actual gameplay. Anyway, Pascal Siakam for the Raptors. He had 17 points, but he was 7 for 23 from the floor, 0 oh for 9 from 3. Kyle Lowry, 15 points. He was six to 17 from the floor, but he was three for 13 from three. So that'll get you killed right there. Norman Powell, he was three for 10. Serge Ibaka, two for eight. Hollis Jefferson off the bench, three for eight. Fred Van Fleet, one for six from the floor. He's one for six from three. So just a horrible night for the Raptors. They shot 32% from the floor compared to Philadelphia's 45%. They shoot 20% from three compared to Philadelphia's 31%. Only thing that kept them that they only positive for Toronto is they were 11 for 13 from the free throw line. They got destroyed in every single category. Points in the paint, second chance points, bench points, assists, offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds, steals, blocks. They turned the ball over 20 times compared to Philadelphia's only 10, so... Yep, that's got all the makings for a 20-point loss at home. So they're tied 1-1. So those series are tied 1-1. Toronto and Philly and Clippers Rockets, they're tied 1-1. Monday show, I'll talk about game twos for LA and OKC and Milwaukee and Miami. Monday show is going to be like in the evening because I'm having a virtual watch party for wwe's money in the bank pay-per-view on sunday night so i won't be watching last dance until i get home from work that's two hours of stuff after i get home from work and then i'll record about it so it'll be another late podcast on monday also i'm not doing three pods a week anymore I'm only doing Mondays and Fridays, so it should be more contact on both episodes instead of breaking it up into three episodes. I just can't juggle doing three podcasts a week right now. So we're all caught up on the fake basketball. So now we'll jump into, we'll pick up where I left off for the top 50 all-time players list. We left off last week with number 30, Bob Pettit. So number 29 is Utah Jazz point guard, John Stockton. He was 11 time all NBA player. He was five time all defense. He was a two time steel champion. He's fifth all time in offensive rating, He was a nine-time assist champion. He averaged 13 points and 10.5 assists for his career. He's fifth in games all-time. His win shares is 207.7. He's 11th all-time at minutes played. He's first in assists. He's first in steals. He's 51st in points all-time. His offensive win share is seventh all-time. His box plus minus is eighth all-time. He's third in value over replacement. He's second all-time in assists per game. His player efficiency rating is a 21.8. His true shooting percentage is 16th all-time, and his assist percentage is first all-time. John Stockton, another one of those players that I've talked about on here where unfortunately he ran into Michael Jordan, so... He had two of probably the greatest teams to ever win a never win a championship with him and Carl Malone, who's coming up in a little bit here shortly. One of the best facilitators of all time. He was also a really great defensive point guard. Number 29, John Stockton. Another point guard ahead of him, 28, Chris Paul. This one was really a coin flip for me, but I really think Chris Paul is the better player than John Stockton. Chris Paul, the point guard for the New Orleans Hornets, LA Clippers, Houston Rockets, and now the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's an eight-time All-NBA player so far. He's nine Time all defense. He's a six time steel champion. He's 65th currently in points. He was rookie of the year. He's a four time assist champion. He's seventh all time currently in assists. He's seventh all time in steals. He's fourth in assists per game. His player efficiency rating is a 25.1. He's second behind John Stockton in assist percentage. His offensive rating all time is first and he's 12th all-time in win shares. His win shares per 48 is 4th all-time, and his box plus minus is 3rd all-time. His value above replacement is 8th all-time. He's currently averaging 18.5 points per game and 9.5 assists per game. For me, I have... They're so close, statistically, if you look at it, but Chris Paul, he still has time to add to his, so he's just going to keep... He's going to end up catching John Stockton and assists. He'll probably catch him in steals. So for me, I have Chris Paul over John Stockton. It really was a coin flip, but... Chris Paul still he's he's still going and he's still going at a very high level so I expect him to he'll surpass John Stockton just about every statistical category number 27 another current player who's still going is shooting guard James Harden former Oklahoma City Thunder and now Houston Rockets uh six-time All-NBA currently he won MVP he's a two-time scoring champion he's fifth all-time in three-pointers made. He's fourth all-time in three-points attempted. He's a former sixth man of the year. He's a one-time assist champion. He averages currently 25.3 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, and 6.3 assists. His usage percentage is already eighth all-time. He's 18th currently in free throws made. He's 40th in, in total points all-time. His 25.3 points per game is currently ranked 11th all-time. His player efficiency rating is 24.7. So again, like I was talking about Allen Iverson, pretty impressive to have a player efficiency rating rating that high with a usage percentage that high as the offense just live and dies with you and to be that efficient is just it's absolutely insane. His offensive rating is currently 17th all time. He's 25th all time in offensive win shares. His win shares is 133.3. His box plus minus is 7th all time. His offensive box plus minus is 5th all time and he's already 23rd all time in values over replacement. James Harden, he's one of the greatest scorers to ever live. He's still doing it at a very high level. He still has at least 10-12 more years of high-level basketball in him, so I expect him to jump up this list probably another five or six spots. I know a lot of people... I, they aren't fans of James Harden's game they think he's a fraud you know NBA Twitter calls him Beardy Madoff but I love him he's one of my favorite players and he, he if you just look at the the numbers he is he's honestly he's one of the greatest players to ever play and again he's still got a lot more high level basketball to play and I know he doesn't get a lot of credit for being a winner or anything like that but the past two years he's taken the Golden State Warriors two game sevens in the Western Conference Finals and if Chris Paul was healthy and, and both of those games he might be in the nba finals two straight years so you never know he's still got plenty of time to try and get that first championship number 26 a guy who was all about championships is former Boston Celtics small forward, John Havlicek. He was an eight-time NBA champion. He was 11-time All-NBA, eight-time All-Defense. One of those eight championships, he was the Finals MVP. His overall win shares for his career was 131.7. He's top 15 all-time in minutes, field goals made, two pointers made and attempted. He's 19th all-time in overall points, and his defensive win share is 13th all-time. There are parts of me that had James Harden ahead of John Havlicek, and I had the same thing with John Stockton and Chris Paul but when it comes down to it he was one of the most dominant players in his time albeit the competition wasn't that great and there was only about 14 teams at the time when he was really getting his run off of eight championships but still eight titles is eight titles and when it comes down to something this close I'll usually give the nod to uh championships number 25 is the logo Jerry West so he was a one-time scoring champion he was a one-time assist champion a one-time NBA champion and finals MVP He's 26th all-time in points. He's 32nd all-time in assists. He's 6th all-time in minutes per game. He's 5th in points per game with 27 a game. His player efficiency rating is a 22.9. He's 11th all-time in offensive win shares. His overall win shares is a 162.6. His win shares per 48 minutes is 14th all-time. It's difficult to put players like Jerry West or John Havlicek or Elgin Baylor, like we'll get into here shortly, uh, Bill Russell later on to put them I guess to put their careers into perspective of just how great that they were given everyone will talk about the competition how Bill Russell he was playing against you know stock clerks at ShopRite and stuff like that and the competition wasn't exactly all that great same thing for Will Chamberlain uh, but Jerry West he's one of the greatest scorers ever he went to 10 finals he was the first ever finals mvp for the losing team he's actually the only finals mvp from the losing team he averaged over 36 points a game in the playoffs there's a reason the guy's the logo of the nba he was one of the most transcendent players in nba history at number 24 One of Jerry West's teammates for the Lakers, uh, Elgin Baylor. Elgin Baylor, he was 10 times All-NBA. He was Rookie of the Year. For his his career, he averaged over 27 points per game and 13.5 rebounds per game. He's 35th all-time in points. He's 28th all-time in rebounds. He averaged 40.5 minutes per game, which is 5th all-time. He's 11th in rebounds per game. His player efficiency rating is a 22.7, and his win shares is a 104.2. So to start out his career, his first seven years— he averaged 30 points per game and 15 rebounds. And in 1962, he averaged 38 points and 18 rebounds. He was an all star in 11 of his 14 seasons. But besides that, Elgin Baylor, he changed the game. He was one of the first players to ever jump for a jump shot. Elgin Baylor's the way he played, it, it set up for greats like Julius Irving, who's coming up here pretty shortly and other guys around the NBA today if we wouldn't have Elgin Baylor then who knows what we'd be watching number 23 is Moses Malone he was an eight-time all-NBA player he was two-time all-defense he was a three-time MVP he was a one-time NBA champion and Finals MVP. He was a six-time rebound champion. He averaged 20 points and 12 rebounds for his career. He's eighth in games played. He's second in free throws made and attempted. He's first in offensive rebounds. He's fifth in defensive rebounds. He's fifth in total rebounds all time. He's 25th in blocks. He's first in minutes played per game. His player efficiency rating is a 22. His offensive win shares is 14th all time. He's 15th all time in overall win share and his value over replacement is 40th all time. So Moses Malone, he's one of the greatest rebounders ever, especially one of the greatest offensive rebounders of all time. There's a 32% decrease from Moses Malone's 6,700 offensive rebounds. The second place Robert Parish's, who's only at 4,500. It's not even, there's no one who's going to even close to break that record. There's no one even right now active player who's even in the same state as moses malone's offensive rebounding numbers moses was not nicknamed the chairman of the boards for no reason it was the foundation of his greatness number 22 is julius irving he was a seven-time all nba player he was a four-time mvp he was a one-time all defensive player he was a one-time champion and he averaged 24.2 points per game and eight and a half rebounds per game he was a two-time ava champion he's top five all-time in points player efficiency rating steals per game rebounds per game minutes per game blocks, and steals for the ABA. So before the NBA merger, Julius Irving in the ABA, he averaged 28 points per game, 12 rebounds, four assists, two steals, and two blocks. His numbers did take a bit of a dip once he got to the NBA when he was only averaging 22 points per game at 6.8 rebounds. But still, he's one of the most transcendent players in the league. He took the baton that Elgin Baylor passed to him, just changing the aesthetics of basketball. And he played with such a flair. And his crazy athleticism was just like, Absolutely game changing. Number 21, Scottie Pippen. Six time NBA champion, seven time All NBA. He was 10 time all defense. He was a one-time steel champion. He's 60th all time in points, 33rd in assists, and he's 55th in rebounds all time. He's 14th in steel per game. He's 28th in steel percentage. He's 67th in defensive rating. His win share is a 125.1. He's 20th all time at defensive win shares. And his box plus minus is 35th all time. And his value over replacement is 24th all time. So Scottie Pippen, he's one of the greatest perimeter defenders of all time. And he's the innovator really of the point forward position, that position now that LeBron. James runs so there's only four players in the history of the NBA who are six eight and above who average at least 15 points five rebounds and five assists Magic Johnson Larry Bird Scottie Pippen and now LeBron James that's a pretty elite company to be a part of a lot of people know him as you know Robin to Michael Jordan's Batman but Scottie Pippen at points during that time with the Bulls he was the second best player on the planet And some people consider him a role player, and it's absolutely insane. I know someone, they know who they are. They think Scottie Pippen is just a role player. He's not that great of a player. He wasn't anything without Michael Jordan. Absolutely asinine. I mean before scotty pippen came to the bulls mj was getting bounced out in the first round he was getting swept in the first round and scotty came and he took a lot of the pressure off mj and he let mj do his thing if there was no scotty pippen there would be no six and in the finals there wouldn't be the two three peats scotty pippen is that important and he's that great of an nba player and number 20 the mailman carl malone he's second all time in points he's a 14 time all nba player He's a two-time MVP. He's a four-time All-Defense. He's sixth all-time in games played. He's second all-time in minutes played. He's second all-time in field goals made and attempted. He's first all-time in free throws made and attempted. He's second in total rebounds. He's 12th in steals. He's 12th in points per game. His player efficiency rating is a 23.9. His usage percentage as a power forward is 14th all-time. He's 8th all-time in offensive win share. He's 6th all-time in defensive win share. He's 4th all-time in just total win share. And he's 4th all-time in value over replacement. So, Carl Malone, he's one of the greatest power forwards ever. He's one of the greatest players literally ever. But I only have him at number 20. I think the only knock on him, it was tough for me to put him... To put him above other people in this list was the lack of championships. Unfortunately for him, like I was talking about John Stockton, at the peak of his career and John Stockton's career, Michael Jordan was still around, and again, Utah probably those two teams that Michael beat in the finals are probably the two greatest teams never win a championship Carbalone's peak was for over 20 years it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar-esque so from here on out and Charles Barkley he's going to be the only player above him here who doesn't have at least one championship so we're at the point of the list now where like championships mean it separates one player from another because this is all just so close all right so that's numbers 29 through 20 we got John Stockton Chris Paul James Harden John Havlicek Jerry West Elgin Baylor Moses Malone. Malone, julius erving scotty pippen and carl malone all right so that's all for this episode monday show we'll have game two recaps for los angeles and okc and miami and milwaukee and then game three for clippers and rockets and 76ers toronto raptors and then we'll continue the top 50 all-time list with numbers 19 through 10 thank you for listening And thank you to everybody who's leaving me reviews and ratings. I have over a hundred listens so far through seven episodes. That's way more than I expected. So that's really awesome to see. I really appreciate you guys for listening. Um, So thank you. And I'll I'll talk to you Monday. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. And uh, what can I say? Mamba out.